BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, in for John Canzano, here's Peter Sampson with the bald face truth. Welcome back in hour number two of the program. I am Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. Hope you're having a great holiday wherever you're listening to this program. Great weekend for the Trailblazers. And if you're like me, you saw that Nasir Little was going to make his return yesterday. And if you're like me, you found out that news from Sean Hikins, uh locker room conversation with Nas talking about the uh, the rehab, the recovery, the work, the timeline. It was a fantastic read. It got me primed, not just to be excited for Little's return to the court, but specifically talking about the conditioning. How's this guy going to look? Is he going to have the energy? What kind of minutes restriction is it going to be? Nas honestly looked like he hasn't missed a beat. Blazers, after a very rough stretch of games, won two against the Dallas Mavericks. I said it before, I'll say it again. Anytime you can beat a team ahead of you in the standings twice, you've had a great weekend. Here to talk about it from the Rose Garden Report, Sean Hyken joins us now. Sean, the Blazers look fantastic this weekend. Now, it helps if you get a couple big bench pieces back and uh, maybe cut your turnovers by 10 per game, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, you, it's pretty hard to say that they didn't have about as good of a weekend as they could have. And I know, I mean... You can say, well, you know, one of their two wins uh, against the Mavericks was with Luka Doncic sitting out because he's been sitting out on back-to-backs. But at this point, when you're in Portland and you had the five-game losing streak and you had kind of fallen even out of the play-in as tight as the margins are, you just need to take any win that you can get. And honestly, like, they've, they've had – they've been on the other end of that type of game. They lost to the Clippers earlier this season when the Clippers didn't have Paul George or Kawhi Leonard playing. So you can't really take any of these for granted. But even just besides that part of it, uh, they, like you were saying, they cut down on their turnovers. Both of these games, they had single-digit turnovers. Uh, I, mean, I think maybe they got to 9 or 10 by the time of garbage time, but by the time that Chauncey Bill pulled the starters, it was about five minutes, four or five minutes to go each way. They only had six or seven. I think they had seven in the first game, six in the second game. So, you know, that, since that's been the biggest thing that's been plaguing them all season, you know, it would, I would say it would be encouraging to see that that got cut down significantly. And then also, yeah, Nasir Little, he looked about as good as somebody who hasn't played in six weeks can look. He was on a 15-minute or so restriction. I think I had heard it was 15. He ended up playing 16. So, you know, so, somewhere in that range. But he looked comfortable. He looked confident. He knocked down some rhythm shots. He played good defense. He did about what you would expect him to do. And just getting healthier. Between that and now, you know, Gary Payton the second is kind of back in the mix more consistently now. And it's really just Justice Winslow that they're waiting on. So even just getting a couple of pieces back for the bench is going to make it so that, A, Chauncey Billups doesn't have to rely on the starters to play so many minutes. Damian Lillard only played 29 minutes in the first game, which is huge considering the amount of responsibility that he's had lately. And then you're also... You know, they, they've been, because of all the injuries that they've had, they've been relying on so many, you know, two rookies, two second-year guys with Trendon Watford and Keon Johnson had to play a bunch of minutes. And being able to just kind of have more, you know, proven NBA players even in the rotation is huge. Yeah, it's it's been really tough with that bench unit. I think they had like three against Toronto. You know, they had nine the other day. It, 
and, and I mean, you look at the the healthy available players there, and you can only get what you can get. So let's talk about Nas and GP two coming back. We'll hold off on Justice until he returns. Maybe next conversation. Gary Payton the second man. You 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 know what you're going to get with him, but it's still uh, very impressive to watch. And I'm not even talking about say four steals in four minutes in the first half, but it's almost like just that energy is is a little bit contagious. It's like the other four guys on the court kind of pick up their defense and it might only be you know five seven percent but there just seems to be a noticeable lift doesn't it oh yeah and it's something that they've talked about chauncey billups has talked about i think he said this after their his first game of the season against detroit that when he goes out there if if the other four guys on the floor aren't matching the kind of energy that he's playing with and that kind of effort defensively then it's like you, you know you look bad if you're not playing with the same intensity that he plays with and i think guys respond to that and Honestly, even besides what he's been doing on the court, which, you know, what he's been able to do, I mean, I, I, think, it, I think his minute restriction is pretty much gone at this point, so he's pretty much fully reintegrated back into the rotation. But what he's been doing on the court is exactly what they signed him to do and exactly what he did last year with Golden State. But something that Chauncey Billups actually kind of pointed out yesterday before the game is that even before he was activated and before he started playing, he was really, you know, on the bench pulling guys aside, as particularly the young guys, Shaden Sharp was somebody that he pointed out as somebody that had learned a lot from Gary Payton, where like he was still like because he's such a smart player, especially defensively, which is not that surprising given who his dad is, like he would be pulling the younger guys aside and just basically directing them like, Hey, go here, go here, think about this, you know, use this angle to set a screen, that that sort of stuff. So yeah, his impact is huge. Not just that, but when's the last time the Blazers had a trash talker this good? I saw him, John, with the Dallas bench a, a lot. Yeah, you know, it's good natured. He's being an irritant, but it's been a minute since the Blazers have, Blazers have had someone that could talk junk. Mario Hazonia, Zach Collins, those are the two that come to mind immediately <laughs> yeah. for me. And I would say Gary Payton is a better basketball player than either of those two. I would agree with that. Uh, of course, Nasir Little played his 16 minutes. Three of five from three, 10 points, a couple block shots, one on the interior, and a tipped three-pointer. Can't ask for more. Blazers, I mean, to me, it's it's not just the energy. They just needed a guy that can score the ball. Three for five in his first game in six weeks. You can't ask for more than that. No, and especially because he was, even before the injury, he was kind of inconsistent as a score. He was a guy, you know, the profile of him is, you know, he's, a defense and energy and rebounding type of guy and whatever. And I mean, he, he can shoot and he's gotten a lot better as a shooter over the years, but he's kind of a guy sort of like Gary Payton where like whatever you get from him offensively is a bonus. So he's actually comfortable and confident in his shot. And, you know, you, he was telling us after the game that as soon as he checked in, Damian Lillard came up to him and was like, look, I'm going to get you a shot. I'm going to, and then he just like the next possession found him an open corner three, knocked it down and started shooting more of them. And so, yeah, I mean, you, you have another guy that you can at least, you know, get an open three, four, and he's either going to, you know, he's going to shoot it and there's a decent chance he's going to knock it down. It's it's, just, it's a huge thing to have that they haven't really had in the last six weeks. Sean Hyken, Rose Garden Report. And of course, before the game, I uh, I received your, uh, your piece talking with Nasir Little. He, I mean, he didn't look winded again, 16 minutes, but sometimes you can tell it takes guys a couple games to get fully into game shape. And I mean, it sounds like he was on a pretty rigorous uh, rehab schedule. Can you detail that a little bit? Well, he was, and they basically, you, you know, when they when they said, you, and th- this is kind of like press release language semantics, right. maybe a little bit inside baseball, but I think this is something a lot of people don't 
really know about. Usually when you see an injury report, it says a guy or, you know, when a player has a long-term injury and the team sends out an update about it, they say, you know, like, for example, this Justice Winslow uh, ankle injury that's, that he's still out with. They said, you know, initially he's going to be reevaluated in two weeks. That doesn't mean he's going to be back in two weeks. That means he's going to be reevaluated in two weeks and they'll see where he's at. With this Nasir Little one, when they send it out, it said he'll be out for six weeks. And from what I was told, that was basically like the whole, you know, him having to, you know, stay off the hip for a couple weeks to make sure the fracture didn't grow bigger. And then he could slowly start to ramp up like physical therapy and that kind of stuff. And then a couple weeks of on-court work, assuming the MRI came back clean, that was all baked into the six weeks. And the idea was that with the six weeks over, then he would, it wasn't just, oh, now he's, you know, able to be reevaluated and we'll see where he's at. The idea was that six weeks is when he'll actually be able to play. And he hit that almost exactly from six weeks before the injury or, or, you know, or, you know, six weeks from the injury was when he was able to come back. And so, you know, from, from everything we know, again, you, you need a little bit of luck in this stuff in terms of, especially with like a hip fracture, you don't want that to be made worse, but you know, he followed everything that the training staff laid out for him and everything healed as expected. And so he was able to come back in six weeks. So looking at the, you know, they're finally getting healthy. And I think through their their slump, you can't discount you know, the health issue on the bench. I do think, you know, obviously 10 and four beating some good teams. They were kind of overachieving and there's probably some underachievement, you know, over the last month or so. As we get maybe toward a, a baseline, are the Blazers buyers or sellers at the deadline? I think they would like to be buyers. It's just a matter of what's available and what stuff costs. I will say I have heard really not too much as far as concrete. Like, this is a guy they're going after or this is who they're shopping on the roster. Because right now, just, you know, we're a little over three weeks out from the deadline. And everybody's asking price right now is outrageous. I think that what happened this summer with – Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell and DeJounte Murray getting what they got on the trade market is just throwing the entire market totally out of whack. Like I saw a report a couple days ago that Detroit is open to trading Alec Burks, but they're looking for a, I mean, Alec Burks is a fine player and he's a good rotation player and he would help the Portland and certainly a lot of other teams, but he's a guy that's coming off the bench right now for one of the worst teams in the NBA. And I saw a report that, like, Detroit would only consider moving him if they could get back an unprotected first-round pick and a productive young player. And it's like, okay, that's just where the market is at right now. And if the market stays there, then probably not much of anything is going to get done. But I would say that if there's any real trades happening, whether it be with Portland or anybody else, it's not going to be until a few days before the deadline because right now, since they're a few weeks out, GMs might as well just ask for the world for any of their guys that they might even be open to moving, even if it's somebody that everybody knows they're actively shopping. You might as well ask just in case somebody gives it to you. But, you know, as it gets closer to the deadline, I think the prices are going to come down on some of these guys that Portland and, you know, other teams are looking at. I will say as far as what they might do at the deadline, like I said, I haven't really heard a lot of specific names or, you know, it's it's tough at this point this, this far out to get a real read on who's available. But, if I had to guess on the magnitude of a move that Portland is going to make, I would say that anything that's like really needle moving, like, you know, just a couple guys that have been rumored, you know, like an OG and Adobe or DeAndre Ayton or anybody in that realm, I would guess that if that something like that were to happen, it would be more likely to happen this summer than it would in the next three weeks. I think, I, I think, I think Portland will do something. I don't think they will make zero trades, but, 
I think if they do anything, it's going to be like moving around a few bench guys. You know, maybe you you trade like a you know, I, 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 the Josh Hart thing is he's kind of an interesting thing to ponder, but like maybe him, maybe like Justice Winslow, Keon Johnson, bring in a couple of other guys in kind of those spots. It'll be something more along those lines than like a big swing of like trading, you know, multiple starters and first round picks for OG Ananobi. I don't see anything like that happening at the deadline. That's not to say that something of that magnitude couldn't happen down the line, but I think in the next three weeks, it's going to be more kind of, you know, secondary, you know, incremental stuff. Th- that's sort of where I land as well. I mean, I mean, Yusuf Nurkic, I could see him being moved. I could see him not being moved. He certainly played well of late. But he, Josh Hart with the contract situation uh, coinciding with Jeremy Grant needing to uh, to get his contract. I could see them, you know, Josh Hart is a guy, and he's been sort of frustrating offensively, you know, but we know what he brings to the table. But you look at all the other teams, contending teams, teams that maybe you're even looking to rebuild, like everyone can kind of use a Josh Hart, whether he's a starter, whether he's your – you know, your eighth man, everyone can use that guy, but I think it might be, you know, whether it's a pick, whether it's, you know, two reserves, and then you kind of hold off uh, for a big move this summer. I think a lot of it might depend on, and tell me if I'm crazy here, uh, I think they're kind of waiting on uh, Shaden Sharp to see what they've got. Not that I'm expecting him to blossom into a star this year or anything like that, but I think they're looking for a little more consistency and seeing uh, if they can uh, maybe dangle Simons this summer. Am I nuts? I I don't think that's impossible. I would not be. I would not go into the summer expecting okay. that to be what happens. I I mean, it's not. It's not a situation where you know, the last GM was completely wedded to C.J. McCollum, and it was never even, like, a discussion that they would trade him. I don't think that front office is as, as attached to Simons as that, but I do not think that they signed into that contract looking to move him. I think they, they believe that they're going to be able to be more successful building around Dame and another small scoring guard than maybe uh, they were the previous regime was able to with Dame and C.J., with C.J. making significantly more money than Simons is right now. I mean, I... I don't want to say anything is impossible because I think the only truly untouchable guy on the roster is Dane and anybody else being untouchable, I think is a little bit of a stretch, but I would be very surprised if Simon got moved anytime in the next year. Sean Hyken, Rose Garden Report for just another couple minutes. Obviously, MLK Day, it's NBA Day, a lot of national games all day long. Just looking around the league, I mean, the MVP race this year is pretty interesting. Obviously, Luka, one of the front runners. Blazers, man, doubling him. It can kill you. It's actually, before I get there, let's talk about that. Portland's defense on Luka Doncic, you double him almost exclusively and... Reggie Bullock, what did he have? Eight threes. You nine times out of ten, you lose that game. You say let another guy beat us, and they did. But talk about that defense that they played on Luca. Well, that's something that Dame talked about after the game. Is that if uh, you know, you know, the, the, the first two games, the two games that they played in Dallas, you know, one game Luca had like a forty-two point triple double, and the other one he had thirty-three and hit five three-pointers. I don't have the exact numbers off the top of my head, but it was something like that. Dane basically said, okay, if they beat us again, we're not going to, it's not going to be because Luca went off again. And so they stuck two on him. You, you know, you saw uh, Gary Payton the second when they had him in, he was kind of getting in Luca's grill, you know, the way that he does and kind of, they, I, I, and, you know, kind of forcing him to pass it out to guys. And like you said, Reggie Bullock kind of made them pay. Even like Davis Bertrand hit a couple of three pointers. Yeah. To, uh, yeah. Like they, like their other guys did step up. I think the thing that the, the way that Portland was able to, you know, overcome that is the thing we were talking about earlier, which is that unlike 
let's say, the Cleveland game or you know, any of the games, you know, the Orlando game, any of the games before that, they took care of the ball. They didn't give them any free points just with turnovers. Like, where the, you know, that has been an issue, you know, not just in those games, but also on that road trip where they went 0-3 in uh, Minnesota, Toronto, and Indy. Like, that was, like, one of the primary issues, and that they were able to clean a lot of that stuff up, too. And, you know, between that and, you know, neutralizing Luka a little bit, that's how they were able to get that first win. Is Luka your MVP so far this season? I mean, there's him, there's Jokic, a lot of a lot of great candidates. If you're given a, a first half award, who are you giving it to? I mean, it's pretty hard not to give it to Nikola Jokic at this yeah. point, just because not only you know the 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 argument for him last year was look what he's doing without all, without any help basically at all with Jamal Murray and Michael Porter out, and it's like okay now. You know, they have those guys back, and he's still putting up pretty much the exact same numbers. And Denver has the uh, best record in the uh, Western Conference right now. I got to be honest, though, I don't have a vote for the awards. I've never had a vote for the awards. I've never particularly wanted a vote for these awards. I kind of let that be somebody else's problem because then just try to stay out of the discourse. But I think I would probably lean towards Jokic to be honest at this point, but it's, it's, it's someone else's problem. It's not mine. <laughs> there you go. I agree. Jokic, he's been unbelievable. And uh, as of a couple days ago, I haven't checked, uh, you know, since the weekend, but he was shooting like 61% this year too. It's, it's been unbelievable what he's doing. Yeah. Jokic is unreal. It's, it's, you know, and then the Blazers, by the way, Blazers have them tomorrow yeah. uh, in Denver. Yeah, it's going to be a tough one for them. So, last year, the obvious answer was uh, Cleveland. I want to know, man, who is your league pass team this year? A team that maybe doesn't get a lot of national shine, but it's just fun to watch most nights. We just saw them here in Portland a few nights ago, Orlando. (laughs) Paolo Banchero is awesome. He's clearly the rookie of the year. You know, you look at what Franz Wagner is doing in his second year, and also, you know, a little Oregon connection, Bull Bull. Like, the season that he's been able to put together when it looked like he was one of those, you know, league pass favorite because he's so physically talented, but is just never putting it together. He's finally starting to do that this year, and they're going to get another lottery pick this year because I don't think they're going to get playoff teams. So, I would say that's kind of my under-the-radar pick. Yeah, that's my answer, too. And, man, I, I don't know what he's going to look like, but supposedly after, what, like two years, Jonathan Isaac coming back. I mean, they might have to do some consolidation, but the sheer amount of young talent. When, when teams have a ton of talent, fun talent, even if they're not winning games, man, it, it's a blast. And I'll be, I'll be honest, I, I'm a little bit surprised at how good Paolo Banchero's been. I, I thought he'd be solid, and he was just a guy that struck me as, yeah, he's going to give you 15-8 and eight every night, but he doesn't have – that superstar potential, yeah, wrong. I mean, he is just unbelievable. Yeah, he is. I'll believe it when I see it with Jonathan Isaac. If, if yeah. he actually is able to come back and stay healthy, you know, you have to keep in mind the guy hasn't played for literally almost three calendar years. Uh, I, I'll, I'll, I'll believe that one when I see it. But, yeah, a lot of interesting pieces in uh, Orlando. Another one, too, uh, and we just saw him – the other night and he I think did a good job defensively on Dame Markel Fultz you know considering everything that he's gone through in his career to see him even just being a productive NBA rotation player now at this point at you know at, at this point in his career it was pretty nice to see too Sean Hyken I appreciate you man yeah I was good to talk to you Peter all right have a good one that's Sean Hyken go subscribe to the Rose Garden Report
He does the best work on the Trailblazers in the market, in my opinion. I look forward to reading his columns nightly after the Blazers game. And you can get a free subscription. You get a couple bonus things with the uh, very affordable paid subscription. That's what I do. A little bit of the in-arena report, which I always love. And then when you get some deep dives on maybe some big Blazers news, you're going to want to be subscribed to the Rose Garden Report. Also, follow him on Twitter, at Hiking. All right, we'll go away, come back on the other side. I want to talk a little bit more Blazers, uh, just react to a couple things that Hiken had there. I am Peter Sampson. This is the Bald Face Truth on the BFT Radio Network.